I've been struggling with conflicting emotions I feel when I uh, see the tent encampments around the city. I'll be honest, my first reaction is usually to be really disappointed by the mess. Um, the, the garbage, the junk spread around, and if I'm close enough to smell it, um, that usually adds a whole other level of disappointment um, with the encampments. Because I'm very anal retentive. <laughs> I like things tidy and in order. I like things to smell clean and fresh. So encountering an encampment, especially sort of unexpectedly, has uh, often comes uh, uh, kind of a quick sort of almost disgust even. I'm, I just am trying to be honest here. But following that, then come another flurry of all sorts of emotions. Sadness for the people who circumstances have brought to this point. Anger at all of us who are part of wealth and power that have uh, tilted the playing field in our direction, in our favor. Guilt for how strongly and often fearfully I hold on to the things that I have. Even further along, thoughts tend to overtake some of the emotions, reasoning about why we have ended up here as a society, uh, ideas of what to do about this. And what I find most difficult, perhaps, is bringing together all of those feelings and all of those thoughts. Part of me wants to care for the people in need and to solve the underlying problems. Another part of me just wants the mess cleaned up or out of sight. And I think that we as a society struggle with these conflicting desires as well. And we tend to push each other into the extremes of either or. We're not particularly good at bringing together both a well-reasoned, rational mind and a compassionate heart. Most human beings are better at one of these than the other. And where it really impacts us as a society is with our leaders. It's rare to even have a leader who embodies both uh, an who embodies an integrated mind and a heart, and it's even rarer to have someone like that elected to public positions of power. And so, our battles over problems like poverty, addiction, crime, inequality of wealth. These problems tend to be drawn as a choice between either some sort of rational, even bordering on cruel strategy, or some sort of compassionate, bordering on foolish response 
reaction. The truth is we need both, heart and mind, to build the kind of society that God wants for us. When we allow one or the other to dominate, things begin to fall apart. As humans, we need both guidance and grace. And as we look closer at this morning's story, I think we'll see that it's It has always been God's intention to give us both guidance and grace. We will also see that we have not always accepted these gifts from God and that our ultimate hope in finding these is found in Jesus, the anointed one of God. With Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God provides us both the guidance and the grace that we need and long for. First, let me remind you of the setting for our story. Centuries before Jesus um, lived, the kingdom of Israel that had been united under King David had split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom became known as uh, Israel. The southern kingdom, which included Jerusalem and the temple, became known as Judah. About 750 years before Jesus, the northern kingdom was invaded by a power called Assyria and was basically exiled and absorbed into Assyria and ceased to exist. Judah, the southern kingdom, made it a couple of centuries longer. But then Babylon became the regional power, and Babylon uh, attacked Jerusalem and set up a siege around the city. And it's at this point that we uh, have our reading this morning from Jeremiah. Babylon is just about to, it's just months before Babylon breaks through with their siege and overtakes the city and exiles the majority of the population to Babylon for about 70 years. Uh, Compared to the thriving, bustling city that Jerusalem had been when it was the capital of its own kingdom, during the years of exile, it becomes a wasteland, deserted. But, just as we saw last week and we'll see numerous times as we go through Jeremiah, God promises a thriving future for God's people in that same place. Before our specific reading this morning, this is what God says to the people through Jeremiah. beginning at verse 1 of of chapter 33. While Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the guard, uh, in the king's courtyard, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. This is what the Lord says. The God who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. For this is what the Lord God, the God of Israel, says about the houses in this city And the royal palaces of Judah that have been torn down to be used against the siege ramps and the sword. In the fight with the Babylonians, they will be filled with dead bodies of men. 
Nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel, both kingdoms, back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me, and I will forgive all their sins and rebellions against me. Then this city will bring renowned joy and honor for me before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it, and they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, or essentially you will say about this place, it is a desolate waste without people or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, uninhabited, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, And those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. God's love endures forever. I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. God's main point about the cause of the devastation is essentially that the people are finally going to receive the consequences for their actions, their sins against their evil actions. In this morning story, we hear some of that God described in that section, uh, your sins against me, for your rebellion against me. Last week, we heard that included even up to the point of sacrificing children. Those are the types of sins. And God is saying, you will now receive the consequences. And over and over again throughout the Hebrew First Testament, the prophets pay particular attention and call out for condemnation, particularly the sins of the leaders of the nations, the kings and the priests. They bear extra responsibility for leading the people astray. And so in this morning's story, in that part we read particularly, through Jeremiah, God proclaims that new leadership will be a significant part and focus of the restoration. Again, that part that I read, uh, in those days, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. And then he specifically says that that is about the... uh, descendants of David always having a king on the throne, and the Levites will always have priests who are bringing offerings before me. God will renew the Davidic kingdom and the Levitical priesthood. Think for a moment about what that means for God's people, about those two institutions and what they provided for God's people, the kingdom and the priesthood. The king was meant to provide guidance on how to live civilly. The king was meant to provide peace and justice. The priests were meant to provide guidance on how to live spiritually through love of God and love of one another. 
Together, they were meant to integrate both mind and heart, guidance and grace. But historically, both the kings and the priests failed. So in our story, God promises to change this around. One of the the best named uh, commentators that you can come across, Trimper Longman III, who's a actually a professor at uh, uh, Westmont in Santa Barbara. I only don't say Westmont in Santa Barbara. Uh, Tremper Longman writes about this: the impact of this promise of the continuation and flourishing of the kingship and the priesthood must be understood on the background of the horrible failure of those institutions in the period before the exile. The appointed kings and priests have not been faithful, but rather have led Israel down the path of idolatry. But God will lead the people back to a right relationship, to true peace, shalom, the Hebrew word shalom. I like the way the message translates a couple of the lines from uh, our passage that I read earlier. Verse 14, watch for this. The time is coming when I will keep the promise I made to the families of Israel and Judah. When that time comes, I will make a fresh and true shoot sprout from the David tree. He will run this country honestly and fairly. He will set things right. That's when Judah will be secure and Jerusalem live in safety. And then towards the end of the passage, he writes, You might think that I have disowned the descendants of Jacob and my servant David, but I have not. I will give them back everything they have lost. The last word is, I will have mercy on them. God will provide us and them with the guidance and the grace that we need. In our understanding as followers of Christ, God's guidance and grace come together fully and finally in Jesus. Jesus is the anointed one of God. In Hebrew, Mashiach, the the Messiah, or in Greek, Hakristos, which is the Christ, the anointed one of God. Jesus fulfills the role of both king and priest for us. Jesus is both our Lord and our Savior. Jesus provides us with guidance and grace. We hear this in both of those other scriptures that I read. In that gospel passage, he said, he asks, who do you, you've been with me now for several years, who do you think that I am? And Peter says, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God. And Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm not. He says, don't tell anybody because they have a misunderstanding about what that means. But he does go on to say, yes, I, essentially I am this. And therefore, if you want life, true life, in the fullness of guidance and grace, follow me. Anyone who seeks to do it on your own, you will lose it. 
I'm the one that provides guidance and grace. And then Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews, there's a lot of thought that it might have been uh, one of the, the women disciples. Um, but the, the writing goes, uh, in the past, God spoke through our, our ancestors, and now through Jesus, who is the radiance of God's glory and exact representation of his being. After he had provided purification for sins, forgiveness, grace, then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Guidance, kingdom, Lord. Jesus provides grace through forgiveness and guidance through his majesty. Jesus is both our Lord and our Savior. I need to be reminded of this over and over and over again, especially these days. I keep praying that someone will show up, some leader who has a brilliant analytical mind and a huge compassionate heart, someone who cares deeply for human beings and knows how to solve our problems. But all of our possible candidates are only human beings. <laughs> They're just like us. Whether it's for city council or whether it's for president, our only candidates are human beings. Now, I think we can do better, particularly at the presidential level, but no human being will ever be able to bring together heart and mind the way that Jesus does. Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And through Christ, one day, we will have the type of society that God desires for us. All will be set right. From city to countryside, all will be well and will be well for all people. One more time, I want to read uh, the vision that God gives to us of what that will be like. This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, it's a desolate waste without people or animals. Yet in the towns in Judah, of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings. So in the cities, there will be life and, and energy and joy and goodness and a right relationship with God, those who bring offerings. And God goes on. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In this place, desolate and without people or animals, in all its towns, there will again be pastures for shepherds to rest their flocks. In the towns of the hill country, of the western foothills of the Negev, in the territory of Benjamin, in the villages around Jerusalem, in the towns, flocks will again pass under the hand of the one who counts them, who cares for them. That's the, God is describing the fullness of the land that they knew in the days of the United Kingdom. That both in the cities and in the pastures, there will be joy and peace for everyone. And all will be cared for. And God says it will happen through this shoot from the line of David. Jesus. And so even now, 
we look to Jesus for both guidance and grace. The guidance we need in our own lives and in our lives together, the grace that we need in our own lives and in our lives together. We face difficult problems every day. And I believe we not only need to bring mind and heart together, but we want, most of us want to bring both mind and heart together in all that we do. Through Christ, we have hope to do that. Jesus, the anointed one of God, provides us with the guidance and the grace that we need and long for. Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Thanks be to God.